Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, episode 110 today. Proud of that number. We're making some good progress here, you and me together. If you ever want to weigh in on what we're covering here on the program, there are a number of ways to do that. I would love if you would make your way over to my Facebook page. It's Lee Lonsberry. You go on Facebook, you know, that's where you see pictures of your grandkids and stuff like that, <laughs> or your grandparents. Lee Lonsberry, click on there, you'll see my little grinning mug there, and then a, a logo for Live Mike up in the corner. If you click on that, what you're going to find is kind of the background information and all the research that producer Amy and the rest of the team and I do each day to put together these broadcasts. You'll find those as posts. I'd love your comments there. I'd also love you uh, to, to click like. That's a way that you and I can stay uh, in contact, and if I've got something to share there, uh, you'll be sure to see it. And if you have something to say, uh, I'll be sure to see it. Let's uh, meet there, and we can exchange some ideas and build this program here together. Also, uh, before I move on to this segment here dealing with the coronavirus and the Navajo Nation, I want to make one last invitation, and that is to take a look at the KSL News Radio app. If you've got your phone there in your hand, either an Android or an Apple product, whatever you'd like, an iPhone, you go to the App Store, type in KSL News Radio, download that app. You'll be able to then listen to this program wherever you go. That's fine. But you will also be able to have access to all of the expert reporting undertaken by the reporters here at KSL News Radio. Yesterday, I'll point out one story. Yesterday, Paul Nelson was in attendance. Uh, that press conference, which was hosted by attorneys representing the parents of Lauren McCluskey. And there's a write-up on all that he observed, the details. You'll find it there on the KSL News Radio app powered by Any Hour Services. Now, with that said, let me move on to the topic at hand. I'll tell you first, my dad, Bob Lonsberry, he in the late 70s was a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and he served that mission uh, it's no longer a mission, but it was called the Arizona Holbrook Mission. It was located primarily on the Navajo Nation. And when I was growing up, preparing to go off and be a missionary myself, my dad would tell stories about his time on the Navajo Nation, working with and among uh, the Navajo people, learning their customs and their tastes and all that. In fact, it was uh, whenever he and I would be together here in Salt Lake City, we would go to that restaurant, Navajo Hogan. We'd have fry bread, mutton stew. And with a degree of separation, and through all the stories that he shared with me growing up, 
many of the decorations in our home all came from his time as a missionary serving uh, in and with and among the Navajo people. I developed a great fondness for that people. In 1997, during the sesquicentennial of the arrival of Brigham Young and the Saints here in Utah, we traveled down to, we did a family vacation. We were here in town. My dad ran the Deseret News Marathon, and we got in the rental van and drove to his mission. And I got to see the people with whom he worked and shared his beliefs. And it was a wonderful, beautiful experience, one that all these many, many years later I remember and think of fondly. And so you can imagine how it was difficult to read this following headline. Published just yesterday in CNN, it reads, Navajo Nation surpasses New York State for the highest COVID-19 infection rate. Navajo Nation surpasses New York State for the highest COVID-19 infection rate in U.S. How is that possible? New York is ground zero. Those people are crammed in there shoulder to shoulder. They're sneezing all over each other. Their droplets are everywhere. How is it that the Navajo Nation is somehow in a, in a circumstance to have the highest infection rate for this novel virus than anywhere else in the United States? A place where poverty is rampant. A place where multi-generational homes are the norm. A place where running water is not ubiquitous. It's not every home in the Navajo Nation that has running water. And it's not every home in the Navajo Nation that has easy, ready access to health care. And those people right now are experiencing the highest COVID-19 infection rate in the United States. Some time ago on this radio program, Live Mike, we spoke to the Navajo Nation president, President Nez. We talked about the history of the code talkers. One of the final surviving code talkers had just passed away, and President Nez and I took a moment to look back on the memory of that hero and all the work he did in defense of this nation. Well, now the Navajo Nation needs some help. President Nez has been keeping his people informed via any means possible. One of those methods he's taking advantage of is Facebook. You know, Facebook Live and Facebook videos and such like that. Well, uh, President Nez, just last month as he saw this threat approaching his people, he talked about resources and what the nation needed to combat this novel virus. Here's President Nez. And in regards to partnership from the federal government, as you so have you seen, you know, a lot of uh, advocacy by tribes throughout the country to get the resources to our people. Um, and it's um, helping. An interesting reality was revealed by state epidemiologist Dr. Angela Dunn not that long ago. She reminded us all of the nature of the relationship between the sovereign Navajo Nation and the state of Utah. There is no authority 
There is no authority with which the State Department of Health can impose its guidelines on the Navajo Nation. In fact, if the State Department of Health is to help, it will be only after a request made by the Navajo Nation. Producer Amy did some good work for me yesterday and spoke with members of the Utah State Department of Health to find out exactly the nature of uh, what work is being done for the nation right now. And in Blanding, there has been the deployment of uh, some testing centers and some testing capabilities. That's underway now. Here's President Nez talking about those efforts. We are testing very, very aggressively here on the Navajo Nation. Then, in an effort to prevent the spread, President Nez speaks directly to members of his nation about taking the lockdowns very seriously. We love you. That's why we're saying this. We, we want you to live a long life, everyone. That's why we're doing this. That's why we have some tough love messages, too, as well. Those tough love messages are in the nature of these lockdowns that you hear. It's almost around the clock. They're doing what they can to stop the spread. And there are individuals on the outside who are working to pair the resources made available through the CARES Act with the folks who need it the most. And those folks right now are the members of the Navajo Nation. We're going to take a break right now. When we come back, we'll be speaking with Heather Tanana, who is a research law professor at the University of Utah. She is leading efforts in starting the Utah Tribal COVID-19 Relief. She'll be my guest next to explain what she's up to on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike, episode 110. We're talking about the coronavirus and the heartbreaking headline that we are reading today, dealing with the Navajo Nation. This headline coming from CNN, it says, Navajo Nation surpasses New York State for the highest COVID-19 infection rate in the United States. Now, why is that? Well, it's because life is lived a little differently on the Navajo Nation. On the reservation, there are multi-generational families. And they live together in homes and circumstances where it's easy to spread from one generation to the other, this coronavirus. Also, running clean water is not in every home. And it's presented unique challenges, and it requires unique solutions. Joining me on the line is Heather Tanana, a research law professor at the University of Utah, and right now leading the effort to start the Utah Tribal COVID-19 Relief. Heather, how are you? Good. Thank you for having me on. Tell me about the problem that you have observed and how you're going about resolving it. Yeah, so as part of our Indian law section with the Utah State Bar, we actually have an Indian Child Welfare Act kind of subcommittee that gets together monthly. Uh, Some of us are practicing attorneys. Some of us are social workers. You know, we're all dealing with Indian child welfare issues. And as the pandemic started progressing, 
you know, some of us with our tribal connections, some of us are native ourselves, we have family members residing on the res. We were hearing a lot of feedback and concern growing about the infection rate rising in our tribal communities. Um, Again, some of us were very personally affected. Family members had contracted coronavirus, and we really wanted to do something. And so that's what prompted the creation of Utah Tribal COVID-19 Relief. And what are the objectives uh, of this task force? From what resources will we be drawing? Yeah, so I don't think a lot of people are aware that there's actually eight tribes within our state. And certainly everyone, including these other tribes, recognize that Navajo has been hit the hardest. They have the most immediate and dire need. And so our group um, has a few different aspects to it. One, we were collecting item donations specifically for Navajo Nation to get those down right away, uh, working with Utah Navajo Health Systems to disseminate those items to the community members. And then the second, we're collecting monetary donations. A portion of those funds are used to supplement the items that we receive. Uh, you know, I'm sure everyone, is. it's hard to find certain things, thermometers, um, disinfectants, hand sanitizers, that sort of thing. So we're trying to utilize connections, uh, get the best deals we can. You know, we reached out to some of our Utah distilleries who are producing hand sanitizer to help us meet that need. Uh, and then last, this, the third one isn't um, hasn't gotten quite as much attention because it's kind of growing, but COVID has really compounded a lot of issues for our tribal community members, right? Housing issues, mm-hmm. unemployment, domestic violence. And so we are recruiting pro bono attorneys to help um, our urban Indian and tribal community members with those legal issues that are, are going on right now as well. well. How does that work exactly? What are the legal issues that need addressing? Right. So um, a lot of, like, let's look down in, in southern Utah and Monument Valley. It's a big tourist destination. And not surprisingly, they're not having tourists come in. And so a lot of um, community members who would rely on that tourism for income, they're suddenly faced with no income at all. And so, you know, trying to help them access um, unemployment claims or uh, other services that are available, attorneys can help with that. And some has been written about domestic violence and how during this time it's really created unique challenges uh, to victims and survivors of domestic violence, you know, where do they go if they can't stay at home when we're at a time when everyone's saying quarantine, isolate, stay at home, right? Mm-hmm. So those are kind of unique issues that we want people to know. Coronavirus has changed the way we live our lives, but help is still there for you. Courts are still open. We have attorneys who will help you navigate that. Talk to us about any of the the special accommodations that must be made due to the sovereign nature of the Navajo Nation. We've heard from uh, Dr. Dunn, who state epidemiologist Dr. Angela Dunn. She describing the nature of the State Department of Health's ability to aid the nation is dependent on requests being made by the nation to the department. Talk to me about that a bit, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so definitely all of our eight tribes here our sovereign nations, um, some of them have court systems of their own. They have their own laws that they've enacted. Uh, Navajo Nation has a court down in Annis, Utah. Uh, and so if someone were residing down in southern Utah on that reservation, that's where they would go to, say, file for a protective order. And, 
even though the Navajo courts are operating on a limited basis right now, that is one of the essential services that they're providing. Um, and certainly, I think it, what's gotten a lot of attention as well is the unique um, curfew, right, that Navajo has implemented. It's one of the strictest curfew orders, and that stems from their sovereignty. So when we're doing our aid efforts down there, we have to really be respectful of the the nation's laws, their curfews in place. So we're not going down on weekends, right? We're going down when the nation is open um, to everyone. And, and, and that's it's just a consideration that you definitely have to be aware of that it's going to be a little bit different than, you know, going next door to just help people in Sandy, Utah. Did the did the CARES Act or any of the aid packages passed by Congress help sufficiently the nation, uh, or the, the various nations, rather, or have they been left out in the cold? You know, I think it's a little yet to be seen. So Navajo Nation finally got their funding under the CARES Act, but it took several weeks to get. And even though the money is now there with their, you know, their treasury, uh there are certain requirements and guidelines that they have to follow to use that money. So they can't just suddenly, you know, dedicate a portion of it. We're going to bring water into homes, right? It, mm-hmm. That's not really feasible. So, so there are, yes, they have funds, but the need for help is still there. And given the immediate nature of it, that's the really challenging part. They need you know, many members down there. They need food now. They need water now. Um, and, and another aspect of that I don't think many people are aware of, you know, Indian Health Service, that agency that's responsible for providing health care to um, enrolled tribal members across our country, it's been chronically underfunded for years. And so the services that they did have down there were, you know, their baseline is much lower than other communities. And so, yes, they have some money now, but it's going to take some time and whether they can get to the level of meeting all the needs, you know, that's questionable given that they had a lower baseline to begin with. Were members of the Navajo Nation, if they qualified, were were, were they on the receiving end of those $1,200 payments plus uh, some monies for children? You know, that is if they were, but again, kind of the problem we've been seeing just with Americans across the country, right? Uh It was if you had filed taxes last year, and unemployment rates are are much higher on the reservation than they are elsewhere. So they had a higher proportion of people who had been unemployed. You know, they still need financial assistance, but they wouldn't have gotten the money. You mentioned that uh, donations of various sorts are being requested. Is there a website or any way that folks can get in contact with you in, in your efforts to help? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a website. On our, it's IndianLaw.UtahBar.org. We've dedicated a page to our tribal relief, and we also have a resource page going to let people know kind of where they can get legal assistance, both on tribal communities and then those you know, with the state court system and work. We, we've actually had such an increase in interest this, this last week that we've extended our item donation through the end of the week with the Urban Indian Center Salt Lake. Items can be dropped off at the center um, through the week, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., and then our monetary donations are going through the end of the month. 
Outstanding. Heather Tanana, a research law professor at the U, leading the effort to start the Utah Tribal COVID-19 Relief. Thank you for your efforts and thank you for your time. We're going to take a quick thank break you. here. When we come back here at KSL News Radio, we will be honoring the class of 2020. That's ahead on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.